0: Hello, I'm Pete Raby, and you are listening to the Leadership Learners Podcast. With me today is Netta Jenkins, Vice President of Global Inclusion at Uncorp. Netta is a leading voice in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and has been named by Forbes as one of the top anti-racism consultants in the world. Today, we're going to be discussing the diversity deception and how common misconceptions are undermining your business. Netta, thank you so much for joining us today. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. It's a topic that has got more and more, thankfully, airtime over recent years. And I'd be fascinated if you wouldn't mind by starting your journey that's led you to being named by Forbes as one of the top anti-racism consultants in the world, because I'm sure there's been some interesting points along the way.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on your your show. This is incredible, and I'm loving your energy already. So I know it's going to be an excellent conversation. How did I get started? It's such a great question. I kind of fell into it. So both of my parents are from Liberia, and I'm not sure, but they moved to little old Rhode Island, and we and I grew up in Johnston, Rhode Island. We were the only Black family at that time. And there was one specific incident that really kind of was the turning point in me getting involved in this work. A white woman had spit in my mother's face uh, and said, Blacks don't belong in my neighborhood. And I was seven years old at that time. And I remember watching my mom think, what should my action be? Right? Should I scream? Should I react to this situation? Should I just turn around? Uh, so there were all of these various thoughts I could feel, literally feel going through her mind. And uh, what the action that she took was to just turn around, hold my hand, and we walked back into the house. And we didn't unpack but I remember watching her cry about it. And I went in the room and then I cried about it. And it was that moment at the age of seven when I learned how vicious the world could be. And I knew, and I vowed to myself that I would always advocate and I will never stay silent. And so that's what really propelled me on this journey now. Having two African parents, you kind of have three occupations that you can do in life. So it's either a doctor, a lawyer, or engineer. So that's, and I feel like that's like the immigrant mentality, right? And so my mother wanted me to be a cardiovascular surgeon, and so she was purchasing books for me in that realm, and my father wanted me to be an attorney, and he's purchasing books for me in that realm, and I thought I was going to actually go in the, on the attorney path. But I ended up in school focusing on communications and behavioral psychology because I really wanted to understand human behavior. I was so fascinated by how our brain works, why we react in certain ways, how do we then begin to mitigate the behaviors that we have and how do we begin to also have a level of empathy so there were all of these various components that really kind of propelled me to do the work that i do and it's really about you know understanding human behavior
0: and how do you go about that shocking horrifying moment as a seven-year-old to doing the role that you're doing today net how how do you go about even trying to make the impact that you want to make
1: yeah. Well, it started, you know, again, it started off very young. So I remember, you know, being in eighth grade and and saying, Hey, I want to run for president of the freshman class because I wanted to create a shift and change. I went to a predominantly white school and there was no one that was really covering topics around black history or disparities that existed amongst students. And I wanted to bring that to the school. And I remember my student council teacher saying to me, Well, Netta, your big gig here is to fold flowers for the freshman float. And I looked at him and I said, oh no, I'm not here to fold flowers. I'm here to create change. And he laughed and I laughed. But what I went on to do was I took all of the honors courses. I wanted to really understand what's being taught. I remember being in an Afro-Asian class and the, the teacher really just only giving one specific narrative. And I called him out on it in class. I said, hey, that you're you're giving one narrative here if you're going to teach this lesson, you have to teach it in its, its full kind of totality and wholeness. And he looked at me in shock, like, who is this little girl talking to me? And it started with me being able to challenge, I want to use the word racist, right? Systemic racist systems, because what it is, is it's a system that doesn't want to shift or change. And because it doesn't want to shift or change, it then impacts people and specifically those that have been mar- marginalized or, or, or oppressed for many, many years. And so I had to challenge that. And that's why I say to a lot of leaders, it's incredibly important not to stay silent. If you see something, you have to be able to kind of speak up or else you're part of that system as well.
0: I genuinely feel from so many of the leaders and CEOs and other directors that I encounter both sides of the Atlantic that the vast majority of leaders want to make Good, impactful change. They want to be part of progression. Has there been progression in the last ten years since you've been in this line of work, Nessa? How did? What's your perspective on that?
1: It's been very slow. Diversity, equity, and inclusion was birthed out of the civil rights movement, and it was really started out of that. We all know Martin Luther King as well. So there's prominent leaders that really kind of paved the way for this work. However, it's been slow. It's been extremely slow, and. It's unfortunate that has been that slow, but we all know of the pandemic. And I think that really shifted things because now we were all on pause. And then the murder of Mr. George Floyd happened. And that has really been a true turning point in watching some of the progression happening. Because now people, from a psychological perspective, are taking a look at themselves and saying, well, how have I played a role? Perhaps... Maybe I haven't said the N-word. Perhaps I haven't uh, stepped on someone's neck or whatever, but, but I have been silent. And so how have I played a role in that? How have I impacted other people? And I think when I watch leaders doing the deep self-reflective work and really being open about it and then saying, okay, I've identified the gaps that exist, I now know how I need to take action. And now I'm going to take the action and here's how I'm measuring it. That's what's exciting to see. And that's what we're seeing more of right now. But it, it has definitely been a progression.
0: Well, there's there's so many different elements of this I'm really looking forward to get stuck into, but I'm definitely an individual that likes to break things down. And actually, one of the, the first questions I wanted to ask was of what the purpose of the new book, The Inclusive Organization, What was the purpose of writing this book? Who's its target audience and and, and what were you trying to do with the creation of it?
1: The target audience is really every single person that works in the workplace. So, you know, from the, the janitor all the way up to the CEO. So, really, any individual that's saying, Hey, I really want to see that there's a shift within the workplace. I want to see that there's organic increase in representation, that tokenism is not taking place. We're not just saying, Yeah, we need this specific demographic. To be here just for the aesthetic aspect of it. And also for leaders to say, hey, we want people to advance and grow, right? We want for some of these systemic policies and behaviors and beliefs to be shifted. And really, this book is for those folks, those folks that are really looking to create action and do the work. You know, what I'm really excited about this book is that after each chapter, There are worksheets. So every reader will be able to actually process the information that they've read and then start putting it into action with this worksheet. So it's not a book that you can just walk away from. And also, I tell folks, you don't have to do this work alone, right? And that is, I think, the misconception. A lot of people feel like, okay, now I have to take on this work on my own. I wouldn't have been able to create any type of shift within the workplace if I didn't have a community of people supporting. If I didn't have a community of people that said, you know what, I want to take action with you because we want to see the output and the advancement of others. So,
0: I, I'm going to use our conversation today, Nessa, to do something that a lot of business leaders would love the chance to do, and it's kind of start from the beginning on some stuff because yeah. that sometimes there can be a lot of effort, a lot of good intention, but wow. They haven't asked the right questions at the beginning of the process. They've gone about it well-intending, but it just has not been as impactful as it, as it should be. Whether you're, a, you're a, a a FTSE, Fortune 500 company, FTSE 100 company, or you're a business that up to this point, you haven't really thought about it because you've been trying to get up and running. You've been trying to be in your business and you're like, right, we're now at the size where we can start to develop and really start to make sure we've got the right culture that is for us. There's a blank piece of paper. You're a leader in one of these businesses, whatever size they are. Where do people start? What are the questions that they should be asking right at the beginning to make sure that they don't go off in the wrong directions, which I I think could be quite easy to do?
1: I love that. See, all of this is in the book. There's a whole chapter dedicated to it. So I'm I'm happy that you're asking the question. The first thing I would say is a leader must say, okay, what does DEI mean to me? And how willing am I to invest to ensure that this is going to be impactful? So now when we talk about investing, that means funding it, searching for that DEI leader that has the qualifications to drive the impact, not simply saying, okay, well, I know that this person within my organization is interested in DEI work, so therefore you're now going to be head of DEI. That's not strategic. You wouldn't do that with a CFO role or CMO role, right? No one says, hey, who's interested in finance? Now you're the CFO. That just doesn't happen, right? So leaders have to really reshift their mindset about what is the importance of DEI, not following the trend of just having it in your organization just because, but what does it mean to you and how invested will you be? So that's the first one. Two, how much money are you willing to invest? Do you actually have a dedicated budget? I think the next phase is then thinking about how do you ensure that DEI is separate from the HR department, inherently people don't trust uh, the HR department, right? Not saying that there aren't amazing, incredible HR leaders, but inherently people already feel, hey, HR is for the business. So it's very key to have DEI be separate because people see that as, hey, this is the advocacy department. Here's the department that's looking to kind of shift and change. Those should be two separate departments.
0: Uh, A question that really jumped out to me, Neta, there, which um, I'm sure that has been one posed to you before, and you use the example, I think it's a great one, of finance and DEI, right? Financial qualifications Mm -hmm. have existed for 100 years. DEI, to my knowledge, won't Mm -hmm. have anywhere near the amount of academic qualifications attached to it.
1: So it's very complex and interesting right because it goes right back to racist systems because there are systemically racist systems there has not been enough education right even if we talk about critical race theory and all of those things there are already debates there's still debates about hey should that even be in the school system so you see there's there are systemic gaps that exist that don't allow people to truly be educated on these topics to advance However, there are researchers, uh, there are individuals like me that have been doing this work for years. So, you know, what I've researched on has been behavioral psychology, has been race relations, has been uh, the science behind how our, our brains work, right? So a lot of leaders have to also understand some of those qualifications, some of those transferable skill sets that play into a leader really being able to propel from a DEI perspective within an organization. So it may not specifically be outlined. And this is how come was very intentional about outlining that in the book, because a lot of leaders are confused. They're like, well, Nena, who should I hire? How do I assess if this person can really drive that impact or they have the qualifications to do it? And so I list some of that as well.
0: Really, really looking forward to getting stuck in, to be honest with you, Nett. I think it's going to be, I love the idea of the worksheets at the end of it. So it's practical. It kind of guides you through. I think it sounds a a really great balance between kind of the the reading and the understanding the research and the time in it and and the doing. A business organization wants to do DEI better. It shouldn't just be about the person that's got an interest in it. Hey, why don't you come and be our head of, or whatever the case may be. Again, where do you start? If you're a small business, you probably haven't got the budget to have a full-time DEI person within the organization. That's just... That's going to be a fact for a large majority of the startup businesses out there. As you go on, you might, like like we did a year ago, have a director of people and culture for the first time. It's like, if you're a business looking to get started in this area, what are some of the things that you can do, which maybe don't involve a full-time person, but can still do, you know, can still have an impact?
1: Well, I think it's like any business, right? If you don't have, let's say the budget to get a marketing or graphic designer, You may get someone that can consult or contract, right? You may go to Upwork or Fiverr and try to hire someone. And it's the same concept. If a smaller organization doesn't have the budget, thinking about consultants like myself (laughs) that can come in and really support those efforts and work along with the budget that you have to guide you in the right direction. One of the things that I always say to leaders is... Really ensuring that there is education built in from the onboarding process, Mm, mm, right? mm. So every single employee that joins, even if there's just five people within your organization, one, you should be asking DEI-based questions in the interview process. You know, our society holds a lot of weight for folks that have years of experience, so if you're hiring, let's say, a senior level person, they have 15 plus years of experience and you ask them, hey, in your last opportunity, what were the what was the DEI impact that you made? Provide specific examples. If that person cannot provide specific examples, that's not someone you want to hire. Because what organizations are looking to do right now is they want to, organizations want diversity, right? We all know that it drives... Higher performance and productivity and innovation. So, being really strategic about the people that you're bringing in, even if it's a white man, right? How have you actually implemented that? How did you go about measuring it? And what was the impact specific examples? The other piece here, you know, kind of going back to onboarding as well, is then making sure that everyone has some level of training. So let's say the onboarding training for every single employee is a microaggression training so that everyone understands, okay, here's how microaggressions work. Here's how we go about mitigating them. Um, And here's the the policy or the actionable steps that we take. So now everyone's on the same page. That way, a leader can then, whether they want to do it from the start or towards the end, and say, hey, I'm going to tie this to performance. I'm going to make sure or we're going to say if an individual um, that has the training understands the training, signed off on understanding the training, then starts to kind of present microaggressive behavior, we can't tolerate that. And that person's going to have to leave the organization. See, now the expectation and the agreement has been set in the beginning. Where leaders go wrong is they try to implement it midway. And there are still folks that had never had that training. Or it's yeah. not really there's no accountability um, you know, presented as well. So
0: Yeah, love that. And as you say, if it's um if it's seen as a afterthought, if it's seen as something as, oh, right, uh, oh yes, yeah, part of it. Whereas if it's like from day one, hey guys, this is what it's all about. And I, I think I can only relate the most to our business. The average age in our business is 27 years of age, the vast majority of people who come in are university or college graduates. Yeah. And just thinking about the, the, the thing that you said there, which I'd be fascinated to hear from you, Netta, if you think there's a better question to be asking, if you were speaking to a DEI professional of what, are the, what was the DE&I impact that you made, okay. is the right question that businesses should be asking is, what is the DE&I impact that we want to make for our business doing what we do? Mm-hmm. What, what is actually the impact we want to make? Or would, would there be a different angle you think that people should be thinking about?
1: Yeah, I think, I think both are fine, but I like the question around what DEI impact have you made in your last, you know, if that individual is interviewing, you want to know, okay, what have you actually done? Yeah. We're not talking about what you want to do when you come and That's great. I always try to apply things to relationships, right? (laughs) You think about your partner, it's not you, when you're dating someone, you want to understand, okay, tell me a little bit about your credit or whatever question, right. You want to know. Now, if your partner tells you, yeah, I I didn't do anything with my credit. I, you know, I have poor credit or I don't do this. You're going to say, well, I don't know. This person's the best fit for me. Right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So we want to kind of understand it goes back to behaviors. What was your behavior before? Because what your behavior was before, from a trend perspective, will probably dictate how your behavior will be within an organization,
0: and, and, and let's talk about, you You mentioned the word there, which is a very easy word to say, that accountability word. You make sure that it's from the ground up in your business, from the onboarding to the first et cetera. Okay. You make sure there's training and education about it. And then you make sure there's accountability around it. What are some of the areas that you see with all the work that you've done where, wow, people just don't monitor this. They don't track this. They, you know, uh, measuring things is a very, very good way to go about accountability, are, Are there some absolute fundamentals that every business should be tracking and monitoring? Are there things that you regularly see where you're like, wow, these guys are doing so much good, but they're just simply not tracking it or being accountable in the right way? What have you learned so far in that area?
1: Peter, I love this question. Thank you for asking this question. It's such an important one. So here's the other misconception, right? I use the term accountability. And I think a lot of Leaders and employees within organizations, when they think of accountability, they never align it to a tool that can actually measure and track. In order for us to actually do this work around DEI correctly, we have to utilize tools to measure the impact. It can't just be Excel or, you know, and so that's one of the reasons why I'm actually right now developing a tool that will measure the impact of every single employee's DEI effort. And there's a framework that I've created. So the framework is part of recruiting and retention, growth and development, branding and engagement. And then that way, we're able to kind of measure it. And also the application would then spit out the results of every employee and, and, you know, the impact that they've made. And then it can also at that point be aligned to performance. This application would also remove the subjectivity of any type of bias in the performance review process. Um, So when it comes to measuring, that's critical. Now, if an organization, you know, is just starting out and they're like, hey, we don't have the budget yet to do that, then taking a look at assessing exit interviews, assessing and understanding why are people joining your organization? What is it that they're um, drawn to? And now by assessing that, you'll start to see as a leader, okay, well, we have, 20% of the people here that are drawn to the remote aspect of our business, however, 80% really interested in watching DEI grow within this organization. Then you know, okay, we have to put a lot more emphasis on this, right? So I think there's various ways to measure. Also, you know, leaders can then also take a look at, hey, what is their impact On employees, right? So even conducting an assessment. I love when CEOs say, hey, I'm specifically conducting an assessment about myself. I want to understand how employees feel about me, the impact that I drive. Do I motivate people around DEI? Am I talking about it? Am I actually taking action? Or am I coming off performative? And am I just putting this emphasis on maybe the DEI team to do the work? Mm -hmm. And I'm not truly invested. So again, it goes back to that self-assessment and that's where accountability comes into play as well.
0: In any functioning, performing business, there are multiple elements attached to it, which is what helps you get where you've got to be very good at what you consult on. You've got to be very good as a Mm -hmm. culture and culture splits off into 10 different things as to how you can monitor and track these things. But uh, as my people and culture director and I were discussing just last week, it's so important that sometimes it's right that the director of people and culture is the top person that kind of feeds stuff down sometimes it's absolutely got to be the ceo that does that from their seat and i think sitting down reflecting using consultants like yourself netta to make sure that there are some things that without the backing of the ceo to it it will just feel like a little bit of a yeah you that's know, a, a little side project a little yeah. side hustle that's going on like yeah what's going on oh, i will bother with that whereas if it's if it really is run from the top down that's how proper impactful change um can really begin and um one of the things i was really interested to ask you was and i think we have started touching about it here is how ceos can ensure that their organizations are measuring progress in diversity you know equity and inclusion in a way that is meaningful and relevant to their specific context because the reality is there will be some businesses in every sector some that are doing this really well and some that are really not doing as well as they should be what advice would you give there
1: yeah. So I use this, I created this term and I call it competitive cult syndrome. A lot of companies are going through the competitive cult syndrome where they're following this trend of measuring themselves against another company, but no one's really doing DEI right, right? So I always tell leaders, measure your organization against your organization year after year How are you moving up in terms of representation, right? How are you also taking a look at succession planning? In regards to the representation that is increasing, do you now also see an increase in promotions of various demographics or marginalized demographics as well? Are you seeing greater productivity and performance? If a a leader is taking a look at the overall financial goal that they're reaching, Are they seeing an increase in that because of the level of productivity of employees within the organization? I also, oftentimes I talk about equity and the way that I look at equity is in regards to processes and and structure. So if there is a lack of structure within a department, within an organization or a a lack of process, what's gonna happen? That's when you get leaders saying, and I needed to hire someone yesterday. Well, yeah, you needed someone yesterday because you have this broken process that needs to be fixed. But while this broken process is continuing, cross functionally, people are not collaborating the way they need to. Productivity is low, right? So the entire energy has shifted. And now if you're looking at your financial goal, you probably didn't make it or it's a task too. So I, I oftentimes tell leaders to, Take a look at that and really assess, okay, well, what's happening? What are some broken structures that we need to fix in Mm. order to even see an increase within our organization from a DEI perspective? Because then your mindset shifts. It's not, I needed someone yesterday. It's, I'm going to take time to find someone because I know that I have some time to do it. People have been equipped with the knowledge to do so.
0: And it is things like where it sits in the reporting structure as well, Nester. I know this is quite detailed. But if it is something you talk about once a year, <laughs> how are you? How are you ever going to make like you know, and people care about it if it's if it's always the last item on the agenda where everyone's already looking at their watch and they want to be at the door because the meeting's overrunning. Right. I absolutely love that phrase of routine sets you free, <laughs> yeah. and and if that's- it's done at the right time and it's done with the right people in the room, the people that can impact change, and it's done at you know and the right things are monitored, that's when you can get real movement and you can track the right data across the right period of time, as you're saying. Really, really looking forward to getting stuck into the book because I kind of want to get scribbling and I want to see where we're at and I want to uh, get some practical help in there as well. But oh, sorry. from from everything that you've seen. What are one, two, three of the most key components of what a successful DEI strategy that CEOs should be prioritizing?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think one, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, making sure that the reporting structure is, is correct, right? And the correct reporting structure would be for DEI to be its own department, still working very closely with the people team or the HR team. But it has to be its own department. There has to be a budget in place for that department to actually thrive, like any other department within an organization. I think next, it would have to be that leader truly invested. And when I say invested, it means working hand in hand with the D- with DEI leaders saying, hey, I'm going to be a part of all of those trainings or as many trainings as possible. I need to understand this. Also leaders educating other folks too, right? So providing those examples. And then it must be baked into the onboarding process. Education has to be reflected and and it has to have every single employee within the organization that's taking that and that's coming in as a new joiner. Then there should be at the very least quarterly sessions um, so that employees understand what DEI is And not the general statement of what diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's what what does diversity mean within the workplace? What does equity mean within the workplace? Inclusion mean within the workplace, right? That education is critical. And then I think I'm going to add a fourth here. The last piece is having a tool, an application. I think that's the great investment piece that will measure the impact of every single employee. DEI will not work. And I repeat, it will not work if not every single employee within the organization is doing the work.
0: Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Awesome. Neto. I think there's some brilliant bits that I've been mad scribbling away. This is a great, one of the great joy of doing this podcast is the fact that everyone I'm speaking to is hyper interesting and is like a specialist in their field and you kind of go oh blimey yeah, that's an angle that's an angle and uh i want to go and uh, uh, grab my uh, my director after this and go right let's, let's do a bit of an audit of where we're at what's good what's bad <laughs> yeah. what's the plan and uh, as i say there are a few things in it in already but um some super interesting stuff there are there any other before we press on to my quick five final questions Netta, are there any other very common mistakes that you see businesses ceos do that maybe our listeners could could, could therefore avoid
1: Gosh, common mistakes. I think the biggest common mistake would be just um, reflecting so much on the DEI department or the HR team and not really being a part of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when people disengage and they say, well, it's almost like a parent. You watch your parent, you know, not doing something. You're like, well, you don't clean, so I don't need to clean.
0: Yep. <laughs> yep.
1: It's There's a psychological aspect of it. Um, They have to set the example. And I think that's like one of the common mistakes. I think the other one is, and I keep on bringing it up, but the budget, it's so critical. If we're willing to give budgets to other departments, there has to be a budget for this work to actually happen. I think also the other common mistake, um, I've watched companies hire on consultants and then want to dictate the process. And it's like, no, no, no. Trust that individual. (laughs) Don't do that, right? Trust that individual. If they're saying it may hurt you a little bit to see, yeah. Maybe there are, um, you know, pay gaps, you know, in equitable pay gaps, but what that consultant wants to do is help you get on the right path so that that does not continue to happen. Right. There's legal components that come into play. There's so many PR aspect, right. So I think, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of, a, a lot of tips there, but those are, those are a few.
0: Love it. Absolutely. Awesome. That's it. Like it's genuinely great to be able to talk about a subject as I say, I, I really believe a lot of people want to do well. But yeah. sometimes, hopefully, this book could be a great guide for so many people and and, and everything else. But um, of I, I, that phrase, I just kept singing in my head of um, put your money where your mouth is. It's like, you know, the reality is, if it's not backed and by hard pounds, hard dollars, how do you really expect it to have the impact that you want it to make? And as you say, uh, an organisation that does this well is going to be a far better place to work. You get far better attention, far better attraction of the right people. Absolutely. And you can have a workplace that is genuinely probably going to be much better at their jobs because they're, they're much happier. And as we know, happiness is the is the basis of good people doing their thing, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah and it. you get that organic, organic increase of talent. You know, it's not forced, it, because a lot of companies too, they're, they're kind of forcing to find folks and they're just hiring and bringing people on. But you'll see the quality um, and you'll see the excitement in folks taking on the mission of your product, your brand, or your
0: service. Every single leader I speak to Neto, I love to ask the question, um, in, in a few quick fire, uh, slightly quicker than normal answers, but uh, yeah. sometimes we go, we, we go off and carry on and it's quite good uh, and entertaining to be honest, but what have been for you so far in your career, the most effective personal methodologies that you've used to grow and develop uh, as a leader in this area?
1: I think having a high level of awareness, empathy, and of course, what my educational skill sets that I bring to the table as well, um, really understanding from like a, a human behavioral standpoint has helped me to really propel and then embed some of those strategies within the workplace.
0: I feel like we could have an hour's conversation on that word awareness, Netta. Like yeah. I, I know the work that I've done through personal therapy has just been absolutely outstanding in the the raising of my own personal awareness and like, wow, that's why I do these behaviors, what? et cetera, et cetera. But would there be any other ways? Has there been any great book or anything that like, you know, where do you begin? You want to become an, an ultimately aware human being. And I couldn't agree with you more with the sentence that you just said there, but awareness, how does someone go about bettering themselves in that area? Is that anything that you've, uh, that you could recommend on at all?
1: I think, you know, there's so many podcasts out there. there were so many books. i um I run a podcast called uh, Building Better Podcast at Uncork. And what I love about it is I'm able to interview folks from all walks of life from various backgrounds, and they're really able to kind of share some of their methodologies and their strategies that they're implementing within their employee resource groups to drive that momentum and to see that impact through. And I think there's so much beauty in it. And so if an individual is really, wanting to understand, okay, well, I want to get some insight on various marginalized groups and what are some of the gaps that exist and how can I be actionable? If that's a great podcast to definitely tune into.
0: Love it. Thanks, Netta. That's another good, uh, another one for the list to do for, without a doubt. My second to last question, I think everyone has a niche, right? Everybody has something that they, that they are good at. And I wondered if you from an awareness perspective, what you would categorize your superpower as, Netta. How do how are you someone that gets stuff done? What is it that you do that's pretty unique to yourself?
1: I think what's unique for me is I love people. I genuinely love people, right? There's some people that don't really like people. Definitely. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> to do this work, you have to love. There has to be a love for people. And almost as if it's, it's your family member, right? Because there's some people that you'll work with and you're just like, ugh. I'm tired. I'm tired today. Are they not getting it? Do they just not want to get it? Right? I'm going to walk away. And there have been moments where I've wanted to walk away from people. And then I saw the ship. They're like, no, 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 Netta. I I need you. I'm so sorry. I'm being really ignorant in this moment. That's when I'm like, okay, this person is now aware. Right? I always, again, related back to relationships. It's like when you're saying, I'm going to walk out of this relationship. It's (laughs) It's the same type of, you know, the the same type of behavior. So I, I think that would be the superpower, the love and the level of empathy that I, that I have for people to continue
0: on this process because it's not easy. If there's, if there was one learn from today that you'd want our listeners to take away, what would it be?
1: There's a lot, but I would say in order for you to drive accountability, you are going to actually need a tool And you're going to have to ensure that every single employee within your organization is actually utilizing this tool in order to start measuring the impact or else we'll just continue talking about DEI. And we won't see the results.
0: Yeah, love it. There's got to be some total, there's got to be some numbers. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Um, Netta, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey and your leadership learns with us today. I know that given the amount of scribbling that I've been doing, there'll be lots that will resonate with listeners, but also there'll be some really valuable ideas taken away too. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please give a five star rating and do share with others in your network. Netta, thank you so much. Great meeting you today and really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Pleasure meeting you too. Thank you.